Hello, it's Sarah Jane from the development team here at Robert Gordon's College. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was recorded during our Fire Up the Future webinar series. This webinar was hosted by Amy Reid, who was joined by fellow Gordonians Sam Hepburn, Michael Flynn, John Duffus and Keith McLean, who all have experience in working and living in the Asia-Pacific region. They provide a unique insight into the technology, arts, investment and research industries, reflecting on their own personal experiences. They discussed helpful hints and tips on creating opportunities out of a crisis, as well as guidance on how to make the most of them. I hope you enjoy listening. You can also watch the webinar recordings via the link below. Welcome, I'm Amy Reid and I'm here to introduce the welcome to you to the final Fire Up the Future event. I'm broadcasting from Singapore. I graduated from the class of 95 and actually was one of the first girls to attend Robert Gordon's College. I've been in Singapore for over 10 years now and run my own e-commerce startup, a company called TechSembly. I'm joined by a number of fellow Gordonians 
um, and I will introduce you to them shortly. Um, but first of all, I would like to welcome Robert McPherson, the new head of the college, to say a few words. Hello and uh, thank you very much for the introduction, Amy, and it's a good morning from Aberdeen and School Hill, although probably not good morning where uh, most attendees are from today. I um, just wanted to say what a fantastic thing it is that we've been able to have this session and great to connect so many people across, you know, a really wide and diverse region. Uh, one of my first ever experiences in education and one of my best was working at a summer school in Hong Kong. So I'm trying not to be too jealous about your respective locations today, um, but thank you so much for tuning in. Really looking forward to the discussion. Thank you. Rob, and I don't know if you'd be so jealous at the moment because uh, as you guys are opening up, we're now going back into lockdown in Asia, so um, interesting times. Um, I'd like to introduce you to my fellow panellists now. Um, we have um, John Duffus, who is based in Bangkok, um, the class of 64, and is actually one of Asia's most experienced arts and entertainment entrepreneurs. So welcome, John. We also have Sam Hepburn, who spent 18 years in Malaysia, graduated from the class of 03, and is a very successful cartoonist. Um, Michael Flynn, class of 88, also based in Singapore alongside myself, and he is the global head of client capital at Savills Investment Management, a fund managing more than 23 billion in assets. And last but not least, we have Keith McLean, who is from Australia, who is a successful scientist and R&D leader, and currently the director of Cicero Manufacturing Business. So welcome to all my fellow panelists, and thank you for joining this event. Thank you. Um, I think it's very important just to say in today's current environment, it's very important to kind of like maintain a positive outset. And one of the things we want to kind of cover off in this in this discussion is about how you can try and seize opportunities out in the current environment. Where at the moment some people may seem to think it's, it feels quite bleak, there's difficult times, everybody's struggling, there's job opportunities. It's very important to maintain a positive outset and really important to try and seize what the opportunities can be and to make the most of them and hopefully in this session we can try and encourage you to kind of like leverage your networks to to kind of like find out a bit more about what we did and where we ended up and hopefully that can kind of um, inspire you to try and in terms of taking the next steps in your career so um without kind of like further ado i'd love to um just chat to some of my fellow panelists um and i want to know like at this stage for young cordonians out there um, who are not sure of kind of like what the career path they want to take. Um, if they were to leave school, if you were to leave school now, can you give some advice on to how you got to where you went to? Um, Keith, can I send that question over to you, please? Sure. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to uh, great to be here. Um, look, I, I think that uh, I would the advice I'd give to people is that you really need to take every opportunity that comes your way. You know, you can have a core competency and be very skilled. And, and you know, I, I ended up in, in Australia 30 odd years ago, more by luck than by, by planning, I think. Um, and, you know, you, you can get that early stage uh, job, I think, by having, you know, core skills and, and core competency. But I think that as your career develops, you really want to, um, you want to develop extra skills along the way. So you should take every opportunity that, that is presented to you. And those skills aren't just technical skills in doing a job, they're the soft skills that I think we increasingly need to, to do a job. So, you know, I went from being a scientist to a manager to a, to a senior executive. And I, you know, it meant that while my science skills were still important, the skills of communication, uh, empathy, 
uh, being able to engage with others, uh, those kind of things, collaboration, uh, and especially collaboration became, became really uh, very important uh, to me. And, and especially now in a world where we face really great challenges, and I think those great challenges can only be tackled by collaboration. So bringing together a whole range of skills to, to tackle problems. So I, I, I think those are the skills that, that I would uh, encourage people to, to get. And, and we, can, we can explore how you get those skills as the conversation goes on. Yeah, no, it's very true. Um, it's quite funny. I remember being at the age of like 14 back in school and um, trying to kind of seek some career advice about what I actually wanted to do. And I think at that time, somebody said to me, you know, what do you want? Where do you want to go? And I said, well, I want to go to university because also kind of like I've heard university is quite a lot of fun. Um, and then in terms of like, well, what do you actually want to do and focus on? I had no idea. And I think, you know, um, looking back on it, I think that was kind of you every step you take as you kind of like evolve, you actually find out and kind of like grow into kind of like what you what you like. And I think it's really important to kind of like follow your passions and, and pursue those. Um, for those of you who are still based kind of like in Aberdeen and also based in the UK, um, it's good to kind of get an understanding about what it's actually like to kind of like to, to work in Asia. Um, Michael, can you give us a, some insights into what it's like in Singapore? Sure. Uh, thanks, Aileen. Good morning to everyone. Um, I mean, I think Asia is a, a very interesting place to work because, you know, very often most industries here are emerging or slightly emerging, whereas in Europe, things to be tend to be a lot more established. There's often a lot more senior people ahead of you in the line who've been doing these kind of jobs for a lot longer. Whereas in Asia, businesses are expanding into new areas all the time. There's, you know, if you do something for six months, you very quickly become an expert in Asia. And maybe it's the first time it's been done in Asia. But in Europe, I find progression is a lot slower. Um, and if you like sort of, uh, if you like accelerating things, Asia tends to be a good place for that. It's also a good place to sort of reinvent yourself. I mean, I didn't really know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to focus on when I came to Asia, but because of the breadth of opportunities that you're given, and because usually there's not loads and loads of people competing for the same space, you can quite quickly progress in what you want to do. And when I was in Europe, before I came out here, I found it quite different. I always, there was always some other person that wanted to do what I wanted to do. So it was quite competitive, but I've actually found it a lot easier out here. Uh, no, it's very true. And did you, Michael, did you know that, um, was it always your ambition to move to Asia at a young age? No, I'm, I'm, I can never relate to people that know what they wanted to do or where they wanted to be when they were young. I mean, as I said another time, I did philosophy at university, so I mean, I was really clueless. And I had no work experience of any note. I'd worked in a bakery and I'd worked offshore for summers. And I knew I, knew, I was pretty sure I didn't want to do either of those. Um, and I met someone in the final year at university whose brother worked on Wall Street for a bank called Bankers Trust. And he said, oh, all you need to do is fill out your CV this certain way and answer the questions like this. And no kidding, you can get a job as well. They have pretty low standards. They just want to get a very certain kind of answer set. 
And I thought, there's just no way things could be as superficial as that. But actually, they're more superficial than that. I got numerous job offers um, going from knowing almost nothing about international finance. In fact, when I started my job on the training program in New York, I was the first person ever to get zero uh, at the aptitude test for global finance, um, which showed I knew actually nothing about international finance and capital markets, which I think I was fairly proud of actually as a philosophy graduate, but I found it no impediment to I was the, the first person taken off the training program, promoted early and stationed in New York. So it didn't, it didn't hurt me in the end. I would say, if you're interested in, in sort of a certain career path, whether it be arts and entertainment, whether it be global finance, just find someone who's doing it already and get some advice about what people want when they're looking for, for employees. It's really, don't overthink it and do whatever that person says in order to impress in the interview process and, you know, cross your fingers and uh, it's pretty much that's it, you know? Mm. Yeah, so, so true. Um, and, and Sam, can I ask you as well, because, I'm, you know, you've got a very interesting career and you as a cartoonist, it's very specialised. It'd be really interesting to find out how you kind of got into that, into that area what led you there? Sure. Um, so when I left college, I thought I wanted to be in advertising. Being a creative person, they often tell you that this is the way that you can do something creative and actually be able to pay your bills. <laughs> so that's what I went into. Um, but I think three years down the line, I realized that you know I wanted more creative fulfillment. It's never enough. Um, uh, I think I wanted to um, explore, you know, a, a love from childhood, which was drawing. And um, yeah, I, I feel like it was time for me to move on and try something different. And it was, it was just like um, Keith has said, you know, taking every opportunity is what led me into actually being able to have cartooning as a career. So it started off with you know, some friends were doing uh, little group exhibitions. Um, another friend was, um, you know, doing a product and they wanted someone to write for it and uh, create cartoons for it and that sort of thing. And one thing sort of led to another. And um, I know that's <laughs> kind of a cop out. You can't really teach one thing leads to another, but um, it, it's been a series of really uh, opportune uh, moments for me that have helped me get to where I am. Um, I would say that I didn't expect to come back to the UK. I thought I was in Malaysia for good. That's where I was for 18 years. I worked for about 10 years there. And um, I, I thought as well what I could offer to this audience is maybe um, telling you what it's like to come back, you know, if, if you're stationed out in Malaysia or in Asia for many years, maybe you think this is me now and I can just cut off all ties with, with the UK and, you know, I'm set. But there is a chance that you might want to or have to come back. And so what I would have liked to do much earlier and much better is to keep in contact with um, everyone that I knew back here. And I think that would have helped me uh, get, um, yeah, I, I think get, get more opportunities at an earlier stage in cartooning. 
um, where it, as it stands at the moment, now that I'm back here in the UK, I've been here for two years, um, I'm, I'm sort of starting from scratch uh, with the cartooning, which is an interesting um, experience for me and something I'd love to talk more about later. Yeah, no, very interesting. It's, it's funny, I've started when in, in my career, I've always realized that um, there's always been kind of like opportunities to have a promotion or to go into a role. That's not necessarily been my kind of like skill set. And I guess the one thing I, I, I would always recommend is that to do something you're really passionate about. Even if you feel like it's not that, that first, that kind of like that big salary, that big pay rise at the start, once you find something that you're really passionate about, and you, you, make it, you find a way to make it work. And I think that's taken me a long time throughout my career to get there. Um, but I think once you find it and, you know, life is kind of like, is about kind of like enjoying what you do and being passionate about it. And then that, when you, when you have that, that's what kind of like, you know, makes you succeed. Um, John, I'd love to hear a bit more about your experience, because you've got a very interesting kind of like background and kind of like what led you out to Asia. And again, just asking that question about, you know, did you know what you wanted to do at that very early stage? I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do because I didn't know how to do it. But from a very young age, I think around six, I'd started playing the piano. And by my early teens, I'd become interested in drama. So by the age of about 15, I knew I wanted a career that would marry on the one hand music and at the other drama. The question was, how could I do that? And nobody seemed able to tell me, but I gradually, realized uh, there was a thing called television and there were people who worked in television arts programming and I thought that's what I want to do and I imagined when I left school that I would apply for a job with the BBC in London uh, after, after, after university, get one of their 50 or 60 graduate training courses, get into arts programming on television, work my way up and eventually in my 60s or whatever, find myself hopefully near the top, top of the ladder uh, and then take my pension and, and uh, enjoy the rest of my life. That was what I thought I would do. But of course it never works out like that. I went to university, studied music and got one of the BBC traineeships. Uh, and I was absolutely over the moon. The problem was, I found working for uh, a broadcasting television organization was very different from working in a performing arts organization. Um, we were a bit like a factory. Instead of making bits of cars or bits of furniture, we were making bits of programs and piecing them together. And I got very little enjoyment from that, certainly no passion from it. Uh, I then was exceedingly lucky to join Scottish Opera, Scottish Opera based in Glasgow. Um, no need to say how that happened, but it was basically networking and knowing the right person. Uh, and I was with Scottish Opera for about eight years and they were the 1970s, which uh, many call the glory years of Scottish Opera. It was a fantastic time and I really enjoyed it. But I knew also that if I was going to develop my career, there were gaps I had to fill. And it was going to be a little bit difficult doing that at Scottish Opera. So I decided uh, I, I would 
leave and find another job. But in the arts and in arts management, there were very few jobs available. And it was very difficult to find out what was available until a job had been filled. Um, and so I thought, leave, just leave and trust to luck. So I left, gave my four weeks notice, left with sadness, um, and then did some freelance work, waiting for something to come up. And one of the freelance jobs I did was for the, what is now the Royal Scottish National Orchestra. And it so happened that one day the general manager saw me in the corridor and said, John, um, I know you want to work abroad. How would you like to work in Hong Kong? Well, I'd wanted to work in America. I knew nothing about Hong Kong. I knew nothing about Asia. If you had put a map of Asia, an outline of Asia in front of me with a pin and said, stick it where Hong Kong is, probably I'd have stuck it near Kagoshima on the south of Japan. That was the extent of my knowledge. So I first of all said to David, no, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. But after 24 hours thinking about it, I thought this is ridiculous. Just do it, do the interview and see what happens. So I flew to London 10 days later, did the interview as general manager of the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. I'd never run an orchestra in my life, um, but we did employ orchestras at Scottish Opera. And then was amazed when I was told, would I please go back to London to sign my contract? And then I really had to think about it. Um, and I stalled. I, I said I had some business, which was a complete lie, but I would come down to London the following day. And then I thought, this is ridiculous. It's a three-year contract. Even if I don't like the job, I'll have the chance of seeing and experiencing countries in Asia that probably I would never see again, plus all their cultures. Because remember in those days, mass tourism to Asia was virtually non-existent unless you were very rich or a hippie. Um, so I went and I signed the contract. Four weeks later, I was in Hong Kong. And I found I absolutely adored Hong Kong. Uh, and 42, 43 years later, I'm still in, I, I'm not in Hong Kong, but I'm still in Asia. Do you want me to go on or uh, are we going on to somebody else? I, I think Amy's dropped out. Uh... Uh, at the moment, I oh. think she's having having internet uh, right. internet troubles. So, uh, so well, I, I you did. Might want, you might want to go on, John. I'll, I'll go on for a little bit more. I stayed with the Hong Kong Philharmonic for eight very interesting years in this fascinating city of Hong Kong. And the great thing was that I had to travel a great deal, not only around Asia, but to make contacts and develop a network with the classical music managers and agents in London, in New York, in Chicago, in San Francisco, and also in Sydney. Um, but I then wanted to do other things. Uh, so I ran my own company for a while. Uh, I was able to present the best artists in the world, including Luciano Pavarotti, uh, with whom I was to work over about 15 years. Um, but I also joined companies and I found that it wasn't the fact that these companies were advertising, it was the fact that I was a known quantity to them and they wanted me and therefore they offered me jobs. I um, worked with International Management Group, the world's 
leading sports and athlete management company, um, a $1 billion company, which had started up a new business in arts and entertainment. And they wanted me as director for Asia, based in Tokyo, which was a wonderful three years. And then a friend of mine worked for Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, musicals had always been a passion of mine, in addition to the arts. Um, although I suppose that is an art form in its own right. And he offered me the job of managing director Asia for Andrew Lloyd Webber's new Australasian companies. So I did that um, and loved it, learned a great deal, which I could not have learned anywhere else. Like when you work in the arts, you're basically presenting one-off concerts, maybe for two nights or three nights, a one-off recital but you have to market a Broadway musical for 10, 15 weeks. Very different skills are required. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't particularly like Lord Lloyd Webber as he now is, nor the company. And so I left and set up my own company in Hong Kong. And I stayed with that company until about four years ago when I decided to, to give it up um, and I had actually been based here in Bangkok for, I've been here for almost 20 years, but I was just commuting to, to Hong Kong um, because it's much cheaper to live in Bangkok. And even with the commute, it was still a lot cheaper. So I think I- once, um, once a Scotsman, almost always a Scotsman, eh? Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, Amy's, uh, Amy's, we're having trouble connecting to, to Amy. Um, so, um, I've been asked if I could just step in and maybe ask the next next question for everyone. And and you know I think everybody's pretty aware that COVID's wreaked havoc around the world uh, in the last year. And and you know for some of us it's given great opportunity. But I I retired from my position at the end of last year, and and I had the great privilege of leading people who were actually working on on vaccine development and and things. But so you know the, there's a great downside to COVID. There's also been some opportunities. But I, I guess. Um, if you could, if, if we could just ask every, everyone, um, what advice would you give to people, you know, as, as the world has changed? What, what advice would you give to young people coming at the workforce now? Sam, do you wanna, do you wanna kick that off? Yeah, yeah, um, I am happy to do that because I'm one of the people who you might say uh, had a COVID pivot. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, so I was working for two years as a copywriter back in back here in the UK after coming back from Malaysia. And um, the reason I did that instead of going straight into cartooning is because writing is what I knew um, could help me uh, start fresh here again and, um, you know, pay the bills. That was really important to me to have a practical job. <laughs> and um, you know, at least to start. And uh, yeah, but two years later, um, in the middle of the pandemic, I decided that that was the right time to uh, go back into cartooning. So what I really want to say about that is that I feel COVID has um, led us all to some extent into this culture of fear. And I really want to warn against that. Um, I think that, you know, if I had been braver, I would have started um, cartooning last year, right when the COVID pandemic hit, maybe a couple of months after that, because um, so many people have done great things 
did great things last year, you know, not just on the medical and technology side of things, but people who started businesses to help others, um, community organizations and things like that. And it all really started kicking off last year. And it was from my perspective, looking at it, reading in the news and looking at it from the outside, sort of, you know, pressing my fingers on the window and wishing I was one of those people. So um, I would say, uh, what we need to do, or one of the many things we need to do is try not to give into that culture of fear. Um, the old rules still apply, you know, like following your passion, like Amy said earlier. I feel strongly that what you want to do in life is not just like some airy fairy thing. It's what you need to do, because what you love doing is the thing that you're actually good at. And you might not be good at it to begin with, but, you know, through practice, it's the natural thing that comes to you. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I would suggest. And I know it sounds a little bit new agey, but I do believe it's true. Thanks. Michael, do you want to add anything to that in terms of in terms of the advice to people starting off in the workforce? No, I mean, look, very briefly, I wouldn't be too worried about COVID. And one of the great things about starting your career is you know employers don't worry too much about hiring people at the beginning of their career because they're investing in the future you know kind of the, the in terms of the compensation and salaries you're 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 not you're sort of at one end of the scale versus the other so i, I would expect and hope that opportunities are still as uh, you know uh, are still around for for pretty much everyone that wants them, uh, even during these these COVID times, I think it's probably more scary for people uh, at the beginning or at the end of their career because uh, you know the, those the limitations can be you know more profound then. But uh, and I see Amy's uh, popped back yeah. into uh, with the wonder of technology, so I'll, I'll hand back over to to her. Clearly, in Asia, we, we're still working on a few things. Exactly. What, what do they say? Like, you know, when there's a crisis, how you kind of like manage it? And of course it happens, it kind of like freaks me off for a while. So apologies, as I was trying to scramble to get back online due to my Wi-Fi issues. Um, yeah, so, th so sorry. Thank you very much. Um, I think just kind of like it's, it's very good to kind of like to come back on here and also to discuss kind of like the importance and the power of networking. Um, I think it's, you know, I'd love to kind of get um, your views um, from the panel in terms of like, you know, how you kind of came about your, your first roles, how you kind of got those opportunities open to you, um, what kind of tools you leverage, like the likes of LinkedIn, um, the ex-Gordonian network, what's been kind of like very powerful for you in terms of, engage, you know, gauging networks and kind of like helping to kind of get those um, opportunities and, and, and see those opportunities um, open for you. So if I can hand that one over to Keith. Well, look, I think I think networks are are absolutely critical, and I, I'm not all that I'm not all that fussed about how you go about creating that network. I mean, uh, network. You know, there are lots of tools uh, around, whether it's LinkedIn or, or whatever. I think the personal touch for me is 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 really important, and 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 actually taking those opportunities to go to networking events, and and you know, you often come across people at those because sometimes you're just Sometimes you go and go, oh, I'm sure there'll be lots of people here I know, and there aren't. Uh, and that, those are usually the best ones because you really are pushed into, 
engaging with others um, and connecting with others. And you can sometimes get some really great uh, connections uh, through that. And, and you know, as a, as a, as a scientist, um, collaboration and networks are absolutely fundamental to what we do. And, and, you know, so I've had the great privilege of working with people all around Asia, all around Europe, all in America. And so having those, having those networks and knowing that there's someone there that you can tap into, but, you know, it, uh, being a scientist is not just about, you know, messing around in a lab doing science. That's obviously fundamental to it. But, you know, for someone like me who, who really always wanted to be an applied scientist, it's about how, how do you translate that to actually do something useful, uh, whether that's economic benefit or social benefit or environmental benefit, um, that, you know, that, that's, you know, that all those options are there. But if you really want to make a difference, you need to be connected to um, people who can translate your science, who can scale it up. You know, so you need to be connected to engineers. Um, you need you need money to take science into a marketplace. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a number of startup companies based on science in our organisation, and and actually see some of those become multi-billion-dollar companies um, in Australia. And that needs you know, so it needs financial people, it needs lawyers, it needs you know. Clinical people for in certain in certain areas where we're working in vaccines or whatever. So, I think creating your network and really, um, you know, uh, building on it is absolutely vital. And that's one piece of advice I would I would really I really give. And um, you know, whether that's in Asia or or around the world. And um, I think that's mm -hmm. it's fundamental. And and you know, as I say, there are lots of there are lots of modern tools now. But the personal touch to me has always been the most important. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. I think also, Keith, from from what I remember, is um, the events that I've dreaded the most are the ones kind of like the network events where you go and you don't know anybody. I've often been the ones that have been most beneficial. And so sometimes, despite it seeming quite hard and difficult, it's often really good and very important to put yourself out there because you never know who you'll meet. And whether they kind of like you, 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 you come across an opportunity now or maybe in five years time. And that's why it's really important in terms of keeping your network and also your Gordonian network too. Um, Michael, you obviously probably work a lot within LinkedIn and um, you know, it's good to kind of get your experience about how you use LinkedIn and other social media channels to kind of like from a networking perspective. Thanks, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a real fan of quality over the quantity. And I, I, I must admit that the, you know, the huge focus that people have on LinkedIn and similar kind of social channels these days have made it sometimes less useful as a hiring tool because there are almost like professional power LinkedIn users that have zillions of uh, kind of connections. It's very hard to kind of see how genuine they are. I would go back to what Keith mentioned, which is if someone is to reach out to me personally, and I know this from other people who work, you know, in similar industries throughout the region, um, and there's an element of personal connection there, like the person's done five minutes of research and said, hey, I've, I've seen that you've been involved with this and this, you know, I'm interested in this, it'd be great to have a coffee. That to me is an incredibly efficient way of engaging. I mean, I'm talking, you've probably spent five minutes on the internet getting that information, 
but the impact it has with the individual, they go, okay, this is actually someone who's definitely not a complete moron because they've managed to kind of string together something that might connect with me. They're, they think it's more worthwhile than just pinning me a connect, which, you know, I don't even know 500 people. So how I've got more than 500 connections, it just shows how meaningless it is, right? Um, I, I would really, um, you know, you, you have this great advantage coming from Gordon's that you can probably connect with someone who can connect with someone, do a little bit of research, find out something and use that as your entree. You're actually one of the lucky ones. You probably don't need to rely on that kind of social channel. You can personalize it. And I would think that you'd get much, much better results. If it was me, I would go for the direct, you know, find their email or, or phone number by hook or by crook, personalized approach, rather than the sort of, look, if I connect with 500 people, then I'm going to get some connection that will progress my career. That, that's just my view. Yeah. No, it's very, very, very true and very good point. It's about taking the time to connect, you know, and, you know, find the common, common thread between you in order to kind of like open up those doors. Um, John, can I um, also, I'd love to know about what, you, what your thoughts are as well in terms of like using kind of like um, social media tools to kind of like to find connections and um, to establish your career. I think in the performing arts, it's completely different. Uh, I think LinkedIn is a total waste of time, uh, but that's my experience. Uh, I used LinkedIn when I was running my last company um, and the objective was to try to link in with other performing agents, managers around the world that I didn't know personally, in the hope that we could work together on projects. I got over the five years I was on LinkedIn, I think two hits, uh, which were useful. I got hundreds of hits that were a complete waste of time. They were largely from musicians, artists who wanted someone in Asia to be their agent and uh, organize performances for them, but they didn't even have artists, uh, agents and managers in other parts of the world. In other words, they were not the best people in the business. So I, I agree with what the others have said, that the personal approach is much more important. And I've always found that. All the jobs that I've got, bar my first one, and bar the two when I was running my own companies, were as a result of knowing people, being in the right place at the right time, having the right qualifications. Um, and it's difficult to explain that further without going into to very much detail. Um, but I, I, I can give you just one quickly. I, had this recital series running in Hong Kong when I started my first company after leaving the Hong Kong Philharmonic Orchestra. And I was presenting the great artists of the world, the Yo-Yo Ma's, the James Galway's, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when you're presenting a recital with expensive artists in a 1,400 seat concert hall, you uh, are not going to make much of a profit even with sponsorship. I wanted the only artists in the world who would sell out a 12,000 seat arena. And that was Luciano Pavarotti. And I had heard from a conductor friend that his manager was somebody I didn't know in New York. I used to visit New York every year and visited many of the agents, but Herbert Breslin, I did not. 
And this conductor friend of mine said, be careful with Herbert Breslin. He's the biggest barracuda in the fish tank. Um, I wrote to him about four times, I got zero reply. So I was talking with another colleague based in Schaffhausen in Switzerland, a very nice agent friend. And I said, I'd had this problem with um, Breslin. And he said, you don't write to Breslin for Pavarotti. You write to this man in California, a Hungarian American called Tibor Rudas. He has the contract to present Pavarotti's arena concerts. So I wrote to him and he called me back immediately and said he was planning a tour for Luciano to Japan in 13 months time. And they could probably fit in a concert in Hong Kong. And it all developed from there. And, and it, it's that personal contact that is, I think, important. And it's important in Asia too, probably more so, I would think, um, if you're going to join companies rather than setting up your own company. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I think, as you said before, about being in the right place at the right time, I think it's also about having the right mindset, about being open to opportunities. And I think that's obviously kind of like where you were and that, you know, these opportunities then kind of present themselves to you. It's having that, you know, that, 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 that mindset to kind of to think. And I, you know, from my experience as well, it's, um, you know, at an early stage when you don't know what you want to do, you try a few different things, you kind of work out what you like and what you don't like. And then the most important thing you can do is focus on those kind of things that you, you do want and you enjoy. And, you know, if you have that positive mindset, there's always something around the corner. There's always another opportunity. There's always something that you can kind of go after. And I think that's a prime example of that. So thank Plus, you. Can I add one thing? I yeah. think you have to be stubborn. <laughs> I think Sorry. you don't accept no for an answer. You, that's just the first step. You keep going and you keep going. And that has worked very well for me. Although I would never have thought myself as a stubborn person when I was at Gordon's. Maybe yeah. I had to develop that, 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 is that a skill? I don't know. I mean, I, I, looking back on my career as well, and I think that's a very, very good point. Um, it is having kind of that mindset you will always get advice from so many people who tell you this is where you should go to in your career. This is what you can't do. And this is kind of like what you can't achieve. And you have to have that belief in yourself, particularly now in today's environment, that when someone tells you you can't do something, what right has that person to tell you you can't do something? You, they can't determine your future, only you can. And I remember at a very young age, like when I was about 14, they, as I said, they said, you know, what do you want to do for university? And I said, well, I want to go to university. And actually somebody said to me, well, actually, I think you should drop out and go to beauty school. And from that point onwards, that was one of a pivotal moment in my mind. I wasn't going to let anyone tell me what I couldn't do. And I think that's kind of like being my whole focus. And I'll, I'll never forget that conversation. It's probably the best conversation that a person could ever done because I was stubborn. And I was, you know, had that mindset. But from that point onwards, I was going to make sure that I was going to achieve what everybody told me I couldn't achieve. And I think, you know, in today's environment now more than ever, creating those opportunities, you have to have that stubborn, strong mindset. Everyone will be so much noise in the media, the press, that things are depressing, that things are difficult. But if you can stay positive and you can stay focused and you can channel that, then you can, you know, the world's your oyster. So um, I think that's a very, very, very good point. Um, it'd be good to think about as well, like, you know, what skills 
sets do you think are going to be important for the future and also for mindsets like it'd be good to kind of get your rest of your thoughts on that think thoughts in terms of like you know what what skills do you think are going to be really important kind of like going forward for, for young people today well i i i think that you know obviously as i said earlier having some you know having some technical skills or some knowledge of something is 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 kind of uh, the bedrock of of a career but i th i think the i think you know increasingly you need to be digitally proficient of course i think that's really important i think you need to you need to have flexibility and and resil a bit of resilience and, and adaptability i think you know and i know in my career being able to adapt has been really important because you know the, the young people online will laugh that I worked for the same organization for 32 years but I've had so many different jobs in that time and and that that builds up builds up your skills and so I think future skills are are about digital they're about the soft skills about how you interact with people um, how you how you manage others um, those kind of things are the things that I think are uh, going to be important and and as I mentioned earlier as well the the ability to the ability to collaborate and bring together multiple skills to achieve a goal because the world's facing some pretty major challenges whether that's you know climate change or the health and the pandemic problem we have at the moment or the energy energy crisis you know, those are huge global challenges that, that need multiple skills to uh, attack them. And they also need a diversity of skills. So I think it's really important that we have, we have diverse teams and that we, um, you know, we waste so much female talent in the world still, you know, that we kind of still paying lip service to, um, to the gender imbalance and the lack of the lack of women in senior positions and things like that. I think we really got to do something about that because we're wasting so much talent. Yeah, no, I think that's actually a very, very, very good point. And I think it is about, you know, it, it being able to kind of like seize those opportunities and kind of like have them opened up for you. Um, I think we've got a question here from the panel. Um, sorry, from a, I'm just going to read this through. Um, this is from um, David Mill, um, who's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hi, David. Um, his question is, I, I lived and worked in Hong Kong from 1996 to 1999 in the retail design industry. When I arrived, I knew no one. John is right about networking. I reached out to UK companies in Hong Kong, Marks and Spencers, Endurance Lines, Wooten, and immediately had a set of acquaintances I could reach out to. And with mo within months, had work opportunities from both companies in Hong Kong, mainland China, Singapore, Bangkok, Taiwan, etc. Hong Kong was the most amazing place that was a stepping stone to me eventually working in the US, which is where I am now. Never be afraid to take opportunities as they arise. I, I think that's a very, very good point. I think, you know, when I'm um, growing up in Scotland, you kind of, my, my, where was I going to go to university? Of course, it was going to be in Scotland. Where was I going to have my first job? Initially thinking it was going to be in Scotland. I think, you know, there's so many opportunities now in terms of like overseas and kind of like being able to explore. And, you know, if you if you if you have that mindset to and you're open to travel, you have so many new experiences you can um, develop. And I think, as you say before, Asia is a great place for networking. And the reason it's a great place for networking is because 
a lot of the times we're all expats, so we have to lean on each other for support. Um, and, you know, we're miles away from family. And I think particularly now in the last couple of years, we know that that bond has become even stronger, probably as a result of COVID. But because, you know, we have been away from families for two years. We missed, you know, I haven't been back for two years. So I miss family and friends a lot. And um, that kind of like creates a community that's a very tight culture. And I think what's beneficial in Asia is that a lot of people are open up to helping and supporting one another. Um, John, would you agree with that? Yes, I would, entirely, yeah, I, I would entirely agree with that. I would also um, agree with the, uh, our friend in, in was it uh, Charlotte? Uh, Asia still has tremendous opportunities. You come to Asia and suddenly a whole lot of boxes kind of open up. And if I was starting out nowadays, um, I would actually look at China if I was working in the performing arts. Uh, when I moved to Hong Kong, uh, I was the only experienced arts manager working in the city state. And I was one of probably only three working in the whole of Asia. Now, of course, there's a whole core of arts managers around the region, but China is the one area which is desperate for professional arts management. And when you think of what is happening in China, I mean, I used to tell people about 15 years ago, that in Zhejiang province, which is round about Shanghai, 20 new concert halls had been built in the space of 10 years. And the concert hall building program in Japan is still going on, although Japan is really a, it, it's a very different kettle of fish and it's not going to be easy to get a job in Japan. But in China, there will be loads of jobs. Uh, we were asked over several years to help find staff for new theaters, for new concert halls. Um, and I have uh, two good friends who are concert managers from the West who live in China. Um, I would certainly look to China and I would agree also with points that have been made, but that personal, this, this personal connection is much more important in the performing arts because they are a people organization, a people business. You're dealing with uh, artists, you're dealing with musicians, you're dealing with dancers, you're dealing with people whose objective is to reach the best they possibly can. And you as an administrator have got to help them. So you've got to get to know them and their goals and so on. Um, but as I say, within um, Asia, now at the moment, I would say China is very much a place to be. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. Um, I think um, just, uh, just a quick question to everybody else there as well. If anybody's got any questions for the, for the panelists, if you can just um, pop them in and we can address, uh, ask those questions. Um, meantime, I think in, in, is, as well, um, and, and John, thank you. I think you're right. Everything, everybody knows that there's gonna be, you know, the China and, and the Asia is where the growth is. And there's so much opportunity out here. Um, and I think obviously, if you can learn Mandarin Chinese, then it's very, very beneficial. Um, obviously, I, I can't and I wish I had. Um, if you um, could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Um, Sam, I'm going to send that, uh, address that to you. Yeah, thank you, Amy. Um, so I think there's been a lot of discussion about 
opportunities, seizing opportunities. And I think that's totally right. Um, what I would have liked to do a lot earlier, so what I would tell my younger self is to have that North Star. So you have a lot of opportunities will come at you. Some of them will be right for you. Some of them might feel right at the moment, but with hindsight further down the road, you go, mm, I probably wouldn't have done that or vice versa. And I think it really helps to have some kind of plan or some kind of path that you'd like to go down. And I, I think at this age, you know, if you're leaving school or you've just left school, maybe it's very early to think of those things. But if you start with something as very as simple as, you know, what we were saying earlier about what you're passionate about, you know, so have a little notebook and write down all the things that you love in your world, <laughs> you know, whether it's flowers or it's drawing or it's uh, technology or it's singing, you know, those things are really going to be helpful. You could have a list of 100 things, maybe, and you start to see, it starts to crystallize the more you, well, what I felt is the more you write down and the more you sort of get it out of your mind and onto paper, and then you start to be able to build that path, you know. So if I realize that I love the creative arts, the performing arts or creative world, um, what's the next step, you know? how am I going to get there? You know, what exactly, where exactly do I want to go? And then I feel like you're able to filter out and filter in the opportunities that are right for you. Um, yeah, so that's what I would, yeah, that's what I would start with. Um, I think I would also um, say to not be married to the plan. So, yeah, so having said all that about the North Star and the plan, don't be married to it. And, you know, sometimes an opportunity will come where it's like, okay, you've been in Malaysia for 18 years and uh, here's an opportunity to come back to the UK and start from scratch. <laughs> so, and then, you know, you just take it, um, sort of jump out on a limb and see where you land. That can also be really exciting and really good for you something it's like uh, we talk about opportunities out of crisis and I really believe that um, when you're in a crisis that's when you're most creative and you're you're the most equipped and poised to solve a problem that you have um, so it can be a really magical time yeah no I, I can I completely I, I think that's that's very accurate um, I think also kind of like you know the way we see when I was you know when we were back in in, in school days everything was a focus was on kind of like, you know, you're either a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're an accountant. And in today's world now that has completely changed and you can be virtually, there's, there's so many different things in terms of from the technology perspective. And I think the, the one thing you can say is to follow, you know, follow your, follow your dreams. But the most important thing is, you know, in, in five, 10 years time, you want to look back and go, you know, I, I loved what I did and I kind of like, you know, I, I, you know, I put myself out there and explored different opportunities because you never know what comes around the corner. And I think being open to change is kind of like one of the most important aspects. And so I think if I was looking back to my younger self, I'd say relax a bit more and just kind of like be open to the opportunities and like kind of like go with them. And then you'll always work through that journey to find out where you end up. And I think that's kind of like the, it's part of the journey, not the end point. Um, I think, Michael, have you got anything else that you'd like to add into that in terms of like the skill sets that you think would be really important going forward? 
Sure, I, I don't know if it's a skill. Um, I've, I've rarely seen people fail who are generally upbeat and sort of a pleasure to be around. You know, if you, I always, when we're doing reviews or things like that, if, if people have the right attitude, it doesn't really matter. Because, I mean, what I do is not brain surgery, right? Finance. I mean, it's, it's, it's high school maths, as they say in America, with kind of a bit of hard work and ability to connect with others. But if people have that really kind of upbeat attitude, hey, let's figure it out together, they are rarely unsuccessful, you know, really rarely. I think people who are rigid in their views, people who take a lot of time to put a smile on their face, those people have pretty long days, I think. And that's something that you can kind of control a little bit yourself. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm a great example of someone who's upbeat all the time, but maybe I fake it a little bit, you know, and so it doesn't matter the rest of the time. You know, I, I think that's pretty important, especially when you're when you're setting out in your career and people are making decisions about whether to include you in new job opportunities and new business ventures. It's it's just easy to include the 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 guy or the girl with with who's got a, who's smiling. You know. So true. Very true. It's positive that that positive outset. Um, and I'm just. Um, um, conscious of kind of like time so I think probably one final question and if anybody has any questions um, please um, submit them and we'll, we'll do our best to answer them. Um, I think Keith I'll just um, hand this question over to you and I think it's um, what advice would you give the final advice that you'd give to Gordonian starting out today if you could say one thing in today's current environment what would that be? Oh I would say you know open your eyes to the world and the opportunities that it that it provides you know I mean there, there is a world outside Aberdeen and you know I, I say that from 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 experience in the sense that uh, you know 43 years ago when I left school it was a bit of considered an adventure to go to Spain and I have to say at age 18 19 it quite often was an adventure to go to Spain but um, you know, I, I think that uh, having then had the chance to, you know, I moved to New Zealand, well, I worked in Aberdeen. I hadn't left Aberdeen to work until I was 27 when my partner came home one night and said, uh, by the way, we're going to New Zealand. And um, so, you know, I reached out to the only person I knew in New Zealand, got a job within a few days and was in New Zealand a month later. And then I've had the privilege to come and work in Australia and see a lot, you know, I've, I've, through work, I've been in many countries around the world. So open your eyes to the opportunity the world creates. The world is an amazing place. There's fantastic cultures all around, all around the world that you can really learn from. Um, so get out there and, and see it. And the other thing, I think if you do, if you are in a position like, like those of us on the call today who've had the chance to work in other countries, um, you know, always be grateful for the fact that people have opened their country to you and given you an opportunity. I think it's it's really important that you acknowledge the culture that you're being exposed to. And, you know, it's kind of a bit easy in Australia and New Zealand because they kind of speak the same language and things, but, you know, really open your eyes to the world. That, that would be that would be my advice to people. And, and, you know, all the other, all the other kind of platitude things, you know, look for opportunities, listen to advice, um, learn by experience and, and learn by your mistakes, you know, really learn by your mistakes. It's, it, it's quite acceptable to make a mistake, um, but you've got to learn by it, learn from it. Yeah, I, I think that's a very, very key point. I think 
um, particularly in terms of like even being like an entrepreneur, you can, everybody has to fall at some point, but it's about how you learn from those mistakes and how you pick yourself back up there and get back up there. And I think no matter kind of like where you're at and what the challenges are, I think as you're saying, what we, what we kind of like summarize here is about keeping positive, um, finding opportunities, networking and, and knowing it's okay to ask for advice. Um, in terms of like when we recruit people now, we don't necessarily look for kind of like what their academics are, what they studied, what their, you know, their history is. It's about that mindset. And I think that goes back to the point Michael made. Um, it's about finding those people who just have that can-do attitude. And so whatever's thrown at you, you have the capabilities to kind of like to overcome those. You have the ability to view rather than being part of the, the, the issue, find the opportunity to kind of like and pivot and pivot because, you know, where we're at today, the, the new, everybody coming through from into the workplace, like new entrepreneurs, new ideas, the future evolves so quickly and be part of it and help be part of that change. And I think that's what we'd like to kind of like hopefully leave that, like that, that last final word um, with. Um, John, do you have anything like finally to, to, to say before we kind of like wrap up? Or? Just, just more, more or less to echo what has been said, that, that when you leave school, um, you know, you've got 50 years or more ahead of you nowadays. So be flexible. Uh, you may have an idea of what you want, but be prepared and be open to other possibilities because you'll be really surprised at what life nowadays will throw at you. And the other thing is that if you do move to other countries, um, take time to learn the culture. The cultures of this world are, so many and so varied and so incredibly fascinating. And if you're based in Hong Kong, you don't just have to know Chinese culture. Um, there's the whole region. And that's what really fascinated me when I first went to Hong Kong and, and helped me make the decision that this is the part of the world that I want to spend the rest of my life in. Yeah, so true. Um, and I think um, just in terms of like to, to wrap this up, I think the, the, the last words I leave you kind of like with is have fun, find follow your passions, leverage your network, and there's a great Gordonian community backing you and a support network, and never feel um, worried or concerned to kind of like to reach out to it. And to all those other Gordonians out there, you know, you can always get advice. As soon as you mention on a kind of LinkedIn and you personalize that profile that you were there, that you're looking for something, that people are so responsive. Um, so I just want to say thank you very much for everybody's time. Um, just to wrap up, I think this sessions, none of these sessions would be possible without the development team. So I would just like to kind of like to say a big thank you to the development team for making this happen um, from the Robert Gordon's College. And that's us hit the time perfectly. So thank you very much, everybody. And um, good, good day to everybody in Europe and good evening to everybody in Asia.